Designed by Wingnut Social is brought to you by Wingnut Social, the leading interior design and home pro digital marketing agency. We know it works so you don't have to. Learn more at wingnutsocial.com. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your design business? Then welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social, helping home professionals accelerate their success with proven industry practices and expert advice. Hey kids, and welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social. I'm your host, interior decorator, Darla Jethro Powell, and I'm the great grand high poobah of all things here at Wingnut Social, a digital marketing agency for you guys, interior designers to the trade, home furnishings, and also architects. On today's show, we're talking all about the exit strategy. What do we do when we want to actually sell our business? How do we prepare for that? And today's guest, Jerome Myers of the Myers Development group has some insight that I know, well, I don't know. I don't know you, right? I don't know you. I'm not going to presume, but probably you haven't thought of yet. I know I didn't. I didn't really think of it, at least not in the way that Jerome put uh, some ideas in front of us. So before we get into my interview, you all know the drill. I have to tell you a little bit about Jerome here. Jerome Myers is an award-winning engineer, investor, mentor, and business strategist who helps founders navigate their exit paradox through his masterminds and coaching programs. Prior to leaving his corporate leadership position, Jerome built a 20 million, 175 person division of a Fortune 550 company from scratch. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Jerome Myers to the show. Hey there, Jerome Myers. Welcome to the show. How the hell are you? Amazing. Thanks for having me on. So good to see you today. (laughs) Same, same, same. And it's my pleasure. And today we're talking about something that I think a lot of our listeners in the audience would be very curious to learn about, including myself, selfishly speaking. And we're talking about what happens when you're done with the business, when you've hit your success. What is exit planning and what does that look like? And what the hell is an exit paradox? And if you don't mind... I'd like to start with that because that's something that we were talking about in the green room and you're like, what is an exit paradox? Let's dig in. Yeah. So everybody believes that once they get the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, successfully selling their business, that everything is going to be great. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be perfect. And they don't have any issues. I've got news for you. Uh, It creates a whole new set of issues, ones that you may not have expected. A lot of people feel like, oh, well, I got enough money. I will figure it out. Um, It's just not the case, because if you spent the last 10, 15, 20 years building a thing, it's highly likely that that's a big part of your identity. And when you send that on, it's kind of like sending a kid to college or in some instances, burying a kid. And that in and of itself is a big transformation for a lot of people. And they have to either go all the way down to the bottom and you'll hear people say, Hey, I'm going to backpack through Europe or I'm going to walk the Appalachian trail or I'm going to vacation. And they think they're going to magically find something on that adventure. And more often than not, they just find more of the fact that they don't have the thing they used to have and they don't know what's next. 
Uh, you know, that is so true. And I've given that some thought to myself and to say, I'm 55 now, if I wanted to retire at 65 and eventually sell Wingnut Social, which it's a marketing agency, what does that mean for me when your identity is tied so close to a business? And there's a agency coach in the industry who did sell his marketing agency for millions and millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And he was the happiest he'd ever been. And also at his lowest point after he sold it, because his mind set was like, okay, now what? What do I do? Who am I now that I'm not the CEO and founder of XYZ company? And I am sure that there are interior designers in the audience who have their their business, their whole life and soul and sweat and blood and tears is invested in, you know, Susan McNuggets interiors. And either they're not thinking about an exit strategy or thinking about who am I going to be after this exit strategy? So what does what does come after these moments, the success? How do we prepare ourselves for this? And I want to go back because I think you sure. um, made something crystal clear that I didn't. So the okay. paradox is everything in concept should be great. Everybody from the outside looking in feels like you've won. Life is perfect. They trade their situation for you. But you have all of the other feelings. And a lot of people would describe it as an existential crisis, but this is brought on from a major achievement, a major success. And so I, I just wanted to go back and fully define what the paradox is. And so how do you prepare for it? One, you accept the fact that it's coming and it doesn't okay. matter who you are, what you've done. There is going to be a paradox that you experience. It's like, I've got all the money, but should I spend it? Um, I've been in this relationship. Does it still make sense for me to continue to be in this relationship? My self-image has changed because I'm not defined. And so there's six center of doubts that we've put together in a white paper that's available at the founders exit, at the exitparadox.com, where we walk through what people are going to experience and some ideas on how they can overcome those prior to getting to that point. And for us, we just want to, the dip is never going to go away completely, but we want to smooth it out. We want to lessen the time that the people stay in the dip and then help them get out of it sooner by preparing before they actually get into that hole. Because if you get blindsided by this thing, there's a lot of people that it just takes out, right? They didn't, they're not used to having that much capital at their disposal because for all intents and purposes, for most people, this is the largest check they've ever had in their life. And it's like, ooh, <laughs> it's almost like winning the lottery. And so <laughs> if you don't have a plan for that, then it's very easy for you to get separated from your money. Can you give us some examples of a couple of things that we can do to help us prepare for that? Oh, for sure. And so okay. the way that we think about this, and it's kind of like the you are here map when you're in the mall. So we've identified eight exits that a founder goes through. Most people start with leaving corporate America or being an employee in some way, shape or form. There's a few people who figure out how never to work for somebody else. Right. But the vast majority of the population of the workforce is an employee yeah. at some point. And it ends with, you know, somebody having a like philanthropic organization that they can walk away and it's fully funded and it'll continue to go on even after they've left. 
But exit six is the one that most people talk about when they talk about an exit, which is selling your business. And right. so what we want to do is help people prior to the sale of the business get used to the idea that the business isn't the thing that runs their world. And so creating an identity outside of being the owner of this business or the founder of this business is the first thing that we focus on. And you know, it's really interesting. If you go to a party and somebody asks you, well, what do you do? Or you go to the cookout or you go to the pool since the summertime. What do you do? We encourage people not to say that they own this company or they run this company. And this is something that I think a lot of people miss because in the beginning, you have to go, you have to swing the pendulum so far so that everybody knows what you do. Right. Because you want to get more business in. And if you're not willing to talk about your business, then you probably don't stay in business very long. The other swing of that pendulum is like, all right, let me not focus or talk about that. Let me talk about all the other things that I'm interested in. And so having interests outside of the job, um, having friendships and relationships, those types of things. We want to start raising the way that you present those to other people. And that in and of itself begins to change the way that you view yourself and the way other people view you. I love that. And you know what? I recently myself have started to do that because I'm a little bit of a workaholic and I'm not alone. When you own your own business, it's almost like you're thinking of it, running it, doing it 24-7. Even though I'd like to say I'm the queen of delegation, I'm constantly, my energy and everything is all in it. But I started picking up hobbies and getting out and being more social and making those human connections and friends that are not in the business, not in the interior design world, marketing or anything. And... I feel more fulfilled even in my current, you know, present state running the business. And I can see where that would be incredibly, incredibly helpful. So when you do sell or you do move on from that position, that that isn't everything that you had. And, you, you know, you're experiencing that death. That's really terrific advice. Do you have any other examples to help prepare our advice in that situation? Yeah, the other thing that we do with people right off the bat is they we help them identify a problem that they want to eradicate from the face of the planet. Now, <laughs> some people will say, oh, well, you know, there's nothing. Everything is good. There's nothing that I care that much about. But that's a surface answer. And then we really start to dig in on, well, where did you struggle as a kid or who did you see that? was negatively impacted by something that you think is a great atrocity. And then what if we could set it up in a way that that you never, nobody else ever experienced that? That is something that they can get really passionate about. And the reason why that's important is because I think most people are doing the things they do because they pay well. And once you solve the money problem, then I think you can actually do because you have the freedom and the flexibility, the thing that you actually place on this planet to do. And when you're actually playing in that space, I think it becomes a game changer. One, because you're helping the world become a better place. And I think all of us want to do that in some way, shape or form. But a lot of times we don't feel like we have permission or the resources to allow us to do so. 
And that gives us another sense of purpose, right? If you're losing mm-hmm. meaning behind what am I contributing? What is my what is my purpose? Am I my value, my worth? If you can refocus that, that is incredibly helpful. And I've heard before, if you're suffering from any kind of sadness or depression, just by volunteering or going and helping yeah. and be and giving, we'll just straighten that right up. So I can see where that kind of relates. If you're having that existential crisis, to f- to focus on giving and, and making the world a better place in, in a different way than you did when you had your company or you were working in corporate America. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think the other piece of that, just to take it to another level is sure. we want to create real value, right? This mm-hmm. isn't, I'm giving to you because you're in a lower position or lower place than me. This is really about how can I solve a problem for a specific group of people. And it's very similar to whatever they were doing when they were running their business. Their business mm. solved a problem. We yeah. want to identify that new problem and then figure out how to allocate the resources that we have in order to make a, a real impact on alleviating that problem for a large group of people. Because scale is something that is really important when you've had success. What do you think about people who have their own business? Maybe they had a whole the whole thing, lots of employees and they sell the business, but then afterwards they still in some way, and maybe this is in alignment with what we've just been talking about. Maybe it isn't do consulting or just do like a one-on-one thing or part-time consulting work. They're still kind of have their foot in the door. Is that, is that a good idea or is it better just to go 180 degrees and focus on something different? I think a lot of times there's going to be some form of a non-compete or a non-solicitation that they have yeah. to work through <laughs> on the backside of it. So That's true. that can be a challenge. But with that said, I think the school, the skills that they cultivate are usable for the rest of their life. And it doesn't really matter which industry they apply the skills against. It's going to be something that's workable. There may just be some industry knowledge that they need to gather in some way, shape or form, whether it's training or working for a different group or whatever the case may be. At the end of the day, though, I I don't ever want somebody to feel like they have to start all the way over because that's not what's happening. We're just using those skills and applying them against a problem that maybe they didn't feel like they could tackle in the past. Maybe they didn't see a way to monetize it. Maybe they didn't think it was lucrative enough. Maybe it wasn't big enough. Whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. now that they have that freedom, we want them to actually dig in and use the experiences and the training that they have uniquely qualifies them to solve this problem to go do that. And a lot of times people don't see themselves in that way. They just see themselves as the person that ran that company and they had to be a certain way in order to be the person that ran that company. And that's usually based on the avatar that they were serving. And Mm -hmm. when you take a step back and this is one of the reasons why I think it's really helpful to have somebody come in and participate in this transformational journey with them, Uh, It's really hard when you're in the container to read the stuff on the outside label, right? And so (laughs) having the person come read that to you and what we do is we bring people into a experience. There's a two hour deal where we interview them, get a comprehensive understanding of all the things that led them to the place where they are right now. And then we come back and we present a report over the course of two hours and we give them one instruction before we start the report. Wherever I'm wrong, I want you to argue with me. And we've had some pretty big success because most people reluctantly do the head nod. 
and they give you the smile like, how do you know that? And when we do that, uh, it's really exciting because at the end of the report, we give them one sentence on what we think all of these things put together uniquely qualifies them to work on. We give them the problem that we think they should be solving. How far in advance does someone need to start preparing for their exit and their exit strategy? You know, if I'm going to sell my business in 10 or 15 years, when do I really need to start getting serious about it? Yeah. So from a fin- the financial standpoint, the sooner you can do that, the better. Because when you start budgeting and then measuring your budgets against your actuals and you're within like 10 or 15 percent of what you forecasted, then when you get ready to the when you get to the place where you're really going to sell it, they will value your business based on your forecast versus what was done on your trading 12. And that can get be really exciting for you, especially if you can show upward growth. Now, what I would say is the journey is different for everybody. But if you're getting ready to engage a broker to list your business, there's a whole lot of work, probably one to two years worth of work that should have been done prior to going and beginning that engagement. And I will tell you that the brokers are only there to maximize the value of the deal. They're Mm -hmm. committed to the transaction. They're not committed to you as the seller and they're not committed to the buyers. And I think a lot of people miss that because they are left behind after the business transaction is consummated. And most often they don't have anybody that's been advocating for them. There's been, they might have this idea that they're going to do X. They don't want to work for the new company when it's time for, once they transfer ownership. Cause mm-hmm. some people call that purgatory <laughs> where they <laughs> yeah. go from being the founder to being acquired. And now they're yeah. head of this division, but they don't really have any power and yeah. they haven't been an employee for a couple of decades. So for mm-hmm. them, it's difficult for the buck not to stop, stop with them. Well, if they go into a deal where that's the place where they end up, it's almost guaranteed that they're going to be unhappy after about six months. And so somebody keeping that high is important for them. Are you an interior designer looking to expand your reach and attract more clients? Well, we've got just the solution for you. Wingnut Social is the leading social media marketing agency designed exclusively for interior designers. Picture this, your stunning designs showcased to a vast online audience, generating buzz and capturing the attention of potential clients. With Wingnut Social, you can transform your social media presence into a powerful marketing tool. Wingnut Social understands the unique challenges faced by interior designers when it comes to social media marketing. That's why they've created a comprehensive strategy tailored specifically to your needs. With Wingnut Social, you'll have access to expertly crafted content strategies, custom tailored for the interior design industry. Say goodbye to those days of staring blankly at your screen, wondering what to post next. Wingnut Social takes care of that for you, ensuring your posts are engaging, relevant, and captivating. But it doesn't stop there. Wingnut Social also provides in-depth analytics, allowing you to track the performance of your social media campaigns. Discover which posts are resonating with your audience, identify new trends, and make data-driven decisions to maximize your marketing efforts. And the best part? Wingnut Social offers personalized coaching and support. Our team of social media experts will guide you every step of the way, sharing insider tips and tricks to elevate your brand and increase your online visibility. So why wait? Take your interior design business to new heights with Wingnut Social. Visit wingnutsocial.com today to learn more.
Wingnut Social, where stunning designs meet social media success. We're talking about an earnout, right? Mm-hmm. When when you sell your company, so there's a for the if if you're out there considering selling your company to you do work with a broker, um, a lot of times or most of the times, I'm saying uh, I'm thinking, Jerome, you can correct me, that there's a a transitional period for it could be six months, it could be a year, it could be whatever X amount of time to where they take you as the founder as an employee of the company to help transition that. And that's called an earnout, as far as I know, and I'm sure there's more to it. But can you tell us a little bit more about that? Am I totally wrong? Or am I on no, the earnout? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the earnout is done for a couple of reasons. One, to okay. keep the founder from going and taking all the clients after they got the ah, cash from the deal. Okay. Another Smart. piece of it is to help the new ownership team with whatever institutional knowledge isn't captured in the processes that are mm-hmm. put together by the organization and the operating procedures and so on. And I think the last piece is just to protect them from having so much capital outlaid. And so if the when the business is profitable, they can use the business to pay the owner some of the money that they promised the owner. And so that's another reason why they kind of delay the payment schedule is just so that the amount of capital outlay that they have to come up with is reduced because you get the business to pay for the capital. Is this something that's inevitable? Are there, are there any deals that you see when you sell the business to where there aren't an earnout or there isn't an earnout set up? Yes. Because I can imagine if you're the founder of your own interior design firm or, or what have you, that that might be just, ugh. <laughs> well, I think it is, uh, right. Yeah. And with those types of uh, like organizations, uh, you know, they're basically, they might have a contract or two, but at the end of the day, like there's not a whole lot on the other side, there's a phone number and a previous client list. And then that's really what the people are buying, right? There might be some goodwill in the brand name, but by and large, they're buying the old client list, the phone number and whatever team members are there. And, you know, yeah. they come and go as you please. And so is the earnout inevitable? It, it will impact how much money you get. Let me say it ah, that okay. way. Yeah. And that doesn't what that looks like. I think there's a whole lot of things that can be designed into that contract to make it make sense for the person who's selling. But what I will say is, I don't know that the amount of money that you get is the most important driver for everybody when they're designing their exit. And so it's super important. And this is why I was saying you there's a whole lot of work that happens before you actually go talk to a broker. It's super important that you know what you want your post exit life to look like. And right. if you don't, if you think, oh, I can just figure it out if I have enough money, you might, but you might regret what you have to do in order to get that money. And I think the majority of people who are founders did became founders because they were trying to do something different than what they had in the past. And usually that is tied to control. So what do we do then? We just deconstruct what that looks like. We say, okay, if when I'm mm-hmm. 65 or 70 or, or where, whatever that looks like for you, I want to have this amount in savings. I want my house paid off. I want to have, I expect to live another 25 years or what have you. I want my family taken care of and then just deconstruct what that looks like to build the business to that level. Before we go to a broker, what kind of homework are we doing before we even say to a broker, hey, I'm looking at selling the business? Yeah, I immediately take age out if I'm totally honest with you. Okay. I, I don't, I think retirement is simply a number problem. 
So like what type of assets do you want to have? How much income do you want to have? And do you have other options for creating that income? And once that's there, then you're basically working because you want to, not because you have to, because Mm. of the financial requirements to live the lifestyle that you want to live. Now, yes, we do reverse engineer it. And so it's blank sheet of paper. What do you want to do in retirement? You list out all the activities that you think would take you a number of years to do. And you find out that you can probably do most of them in the first six months. And then it's okay. Now, what do you really want to do in retirement? And when we get to that level, we start finding out about the problems and the causes that we're most passionate about and interested in. And then from there, we can design a life where we have a mix of the leisure as well as the contribution work, which is required for us to actually have a fulfilled life. At the end of the day, I think all of us are seeking significance. I think there's a tremendous amount of focus on financial freedom because of the American dream. You know, we're taught for a couple of decades before we even enter the workforce that, you know, the whole goal is to get married, have a house and 2.5 kids and the dog and the luxury vehicles. And then you're going to work and then you're going to retire. And then your lifestyle is going to be less than what it was when you were working. And I'm just like, well, if I got all the time, why do I, why don't I want to be able to go do these things with all the money? And I, I just think that's a fallacy. I think it's um, an illusion. And so what I think most people are really trying to do is to create the lifestyle that they want to live, work at the amount they want to work. You, you don't have to work 60 hours a week if that's what you're doing right now. There's a whole lot that can get done in 20 hours. And then, OK, with the extra 40 hours a week, I'm pretty sure there's some pretty there's some amazing things that you could do. If you came up with a a list of 100 bucket list items, as an example. So one of the things that we do and people have a trouble with this, believe it or not, Darla, is. No, I believe it. I absolutely believe it. I think I would struggle like hella. To do 100, to come up with 100 things that you want to do before your life is over. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I want to be a professional poker player. And (laughs) of course you can. Of course. (laughs) Of course. All right. All right. Um, I mean, it requires you play a bunch of poker, right? But (laughs) if you've got an extra 40 hours a week, I think you might be able to get some games then. (laughs) For sure. For sure. I'm sorry. I kind of interrupted you. What were you saying before? No, but you you confirmed the point. And so what one of the things that we do, and it's something that you don't need us to do, but come up with a list of 100 things that you want to get done. A hundred things. And there's no limits, right? It it can be big or small. It's totally up to you. But a hundred things. And then from there, we want to intentionally pick the things that we're going to do over the next quarter. And you start checking that list off and then you can add more things to it. And you continue this cycle of having these events, these dreams caught that give you meaning, give you something to pursue. And then if you tie it to a certain achievement or accomplishment along the way, then you don't ever feel guilty about going off and doing those things. Because I think that is one of the biggest things that people struggle with. Once they have the resources, it's like, well, can I, can I actually spend the money? Like I always (laughs) wanted this car. Can I, can I buy the car? Or I, I wanted this watch or this house or this bag or these shoes or the belt, whatever the thing is. They, they question whether or not they're wasting or being frivolous with the money. And it's like, well, it, you did all this to be, shouldn't you be able to enjoy some of it? 
Yeah, at least, at least some of it. I mean, you, you want to be smart about your money too, but you also, I mean, life is short. So mm -hmm. there's a nice, there's a happy medium there, a nice balance. So Jerome, what is the red pill? What is the red pill and why should we take it? And I can tell you're a Matrix fan, but I'm curious to hear I what am. you're going to say. Yeah, I am a big Matrix fan. Uh, the red pill is our model for a centered life. And so it has six layers. The first layer is self-image. Relationship is layer two. And then work is level three. Those three layers constitute all of your stress. Oh. If you can handle the challenges and the triggers in those three areas, you can live a relatively stress-free life. Once we turn down the stress, then we want to focus on health. And we do health before prosperity, because I think a whole lot of people give up their health in order to achieve prosperity. Now, we use prosperity instead of wealth, which is level five, because we're not just focused on the treasures piece. We are focused on time, talent and the treasures. I think there are a lot of people who have money but don't have any time. I don't think you're prosperous if you're living in that space or if you have a lot of time and no money. Of course, you can't be prosperous in that space. And I think those who are talented. Right. If they're not using them, they certainly don't feel prosperous if they're not paid well or they have the actual time to use them or time to break. So we want to optimize those three T's. And once you get through prosperity, we feel like those people have achieved financial freedom. That financial freedom often feels empty. It feels like the wrong F. And so what we found is that most people are looking for fulfillment, which is level six. And we call that significance because we believe that the only true success is making an impact, a positive impact in the lives of other people. And so when we run through the six levels of the red pill, it is a sequential process. It, and some things happen in parallel and it is also an iterative process. And so each time a founder goes through one of those exits, we talked about the eight exits earlier, they're right. going to go back through this process because each level, each new exit is going to require a different version of that person. Because at the end of the day, and I think it's really important to talk about this because we're talking to founders. The founder is the lid on the organization. Them continuing to grow, them focusing on their development is the difference between the business staying where it is and where it's going to go. And so right. the goal here is to help them realize that they have to level up. And it all starts with their self-image because the strong self-image allows you to hold other people accountable, which then improves their relationships. Um, it also inspires other people to want to be around you. And then those relationships being improved always impacts the work. Right. Because you get more responsibility, you get more capacity and you yeah. are able to demonstrate your capability at a higher level. Yeah. And without that, I mean, things start to disintegrate There's without okay. that foundation. So I, I, I do believe in that fully. I've ha I had some issues. Um, my gosh, it's been two and a half, three years ago where I had a divorce and I had some issues with, with working on myself and being a leader. And, and when that kind of fell apart, you know, I had some issues with self-esteem after the divorce mm -hmm. and everything. It really did affect everything. I'm, I'm better now. But yeah, it, it, there's just so much synergy in all of this that you're talking about. It's so important in your mental health. And I love that the F is fulfillment. You know, that it's not just financial. It's not just about yeah. money. It's about being whole in, in a variety of ways, not just financially. Uh, Jerome, is there anything that I've forgotten to ask you or that you think the audience needs to hear on this subject before we get into the fire round? 
I, the only thing I would say to the listeners, mm -hmm. especially if they made it to this point, is that your dreams should be real. And so you have agency, you have a lot of influence on what happens in your world. And you don't have to just succumb to living the experience of everybody else. And I think that's part of the reason why you started your journey. And it's my encouragement that you continue that so that you can create a post-exit life that you are extremely excited about. I love it. I just got warm, fuzzy feelings. <laughs> and now, Jerome Myers, I have to ask you, are you ready for the What Up Wingnut round? Of course I am. Let's go. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? Uh, dreamer. I love it. You're stuck on a deserted island, but you can have your one favorite food forever. What is it? Ooh. Ooh. Can I say <laughs> this out loud? Oh, my I gosh. Hope so. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to say pizza. Ah, that's a good one. That's a really well-rounded survival choice, and it's delicious. I, I applaud this choice. Last but not least, please recommend a book that's impacted you either personally or professionally. Mm. Sizing People Up. That is an amazing book that helped me figure out tr trust and the speed of trust. Do you know who the author is? Sizing People Up. That's a first. I haven't heard Robin of Robin Dreek. One. Robin Dreek, Sizing yeah. People Up. I'm going to add that to my Audible Q. Robin Dreek, Sizing People Up. That sounds fascinating. Jerome Myers, please tell the audience where they can go to find out more about you, and we will call it a day. Oh, man, this went by fast. Yeah, the exit, The ExitParadox.com is the place for folks to go so they can learn more about this epidemic that I think is negatively impacting so many amazing founders and prepare themselves or help somebody else get access to the resources they need in order to have a better experience with their exit. 75% of business owners, according to Wells Fargo, regret selling their business and oh, you don't have yeah. to be one of them. Well, that was what I was talking about before with that agency owner who sold his business. He he was in like severe depression, regretted it. Now he's fine with it. And he, you know, saw a nice paycheck for it. But yeah, this definitely can impact you on a, a deeper level. Jerome Myers, I really appreciate you joining us today. Guys, check out to the exitparadox.com or the Myers Development Group. And um, thank you again for opening our eyes on this topic and helping out so many of our listeners. We really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Donna. All right, guys, food for thought for sure. If you're thinking about kicking around selling your business, I mean, Jerome opened up my eyes to a lot of things. First of all, I feel a little validated for having the feelings, you know, about what am I going to do when I'm not wingnut social someday, someday, 10, 15, 20 years in the future, who knows? Because it's such a part of my identity, and I know that as a business owner, it is. It's like our children, right? Blood, sweat, tears. We live it. We breathe it. It's... It's a part, it really is a part of our personality. So I really am trying to <laughs> make myself interesting outside of the business. And if you ask my fiance, sometimes I do a good job. Most of the time I do not. <laughs> so, and Jerome, I'm definitely going to be reaching out to you to help shore up some of these details because uh, these are things I know that I need to start working on now and not later, if that's something I ever want to do in the future. It's super important. It's important anyway, just to get the business ship shape. So super brilliant in the green room. He and I had a, a brief conversation as well. Some more details on there. If you guys are really serious about selling your business someday or, or even just looking into what that could look like. Jerome is your guy. Jerome Myers dot 
Co. is his website. Guys, also just a reminder, Wingnut Academy, Instagram for interior designers, our very first flagship DIY course in order to navigate your own strategy for your interior design firm to market yourself on Instagram. You may be out there saying, man, I hear all these interior designers getting clients from Instagram. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Well, this course, Instagram for Interior Designers, is going to actually delineate that for you. Not only what you aren't doing right in order to attract your ideal clients, but what you need to do. I'm bouncing my camera. I'm so excited. What you need to do in order to attract those clients. Head on over to wingnutsocial.com. Check out Wingnut Academy in the drop down box. You can check out that course right there. And also, if you don't have enough time on your hands, maybe you're running a very successful firm. You just don't have time to run your social media. We also just do it for you. Full service, done for you. Social media marketing management. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to check out our Designed by Wingnut Social channel on YouTube, where you can see us in all of our glory and actually see the bloopers at the very, very end of the show. Um, That's another experience entirely. <laughs> that's Designed by Wingnut Social on YouTube. And remember, until next time, to get out there, get uncomfortable, and be great. You've reached the end of this episode of Designed by Wingnut Social. But that's only the first step into accelerating your business the Wingnut way. Head over to wingnutsocial.com or call us at 786-206-4331 to see how we can help take your business from meh to amazing. We'll see you on the next episode of Designed by Wingnut Social, your digital marketing tightly fastened. Hey there, welcome to the ba 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 Okay. Focus, focus. Hey, are you an interior designer and you're thinking of selling your interior design firm someday? Well, then you don't want to miss today's guest, Jerome Myers. He's going to run some stuff by that you probably would f*** up on on your intro. Good boy, Mango.